Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. I'm so excited that you guys all came back to listen to today's podcast because it features a really great Clubfoot Mom. Erica and I first connected via Instagram and became um, fast friends through our Clubfoot experience. And I will tell you, she is one of the people that consistently gives me feedback about the podcast and how it's going and listens to each episode. And I cannot tell her enough how helpful that is for me because I don't always know. Um, I don't get to talk to as many people on a day-to-day basis about whether it's even being impactful, whether the topics are relevant. So Erica has just been an invaluable resource for me. And I wanted her to come on and share her story with her son and talk about her clubfoot journey. And just for you guys to hear from another mom who I have a relationship with. And I think you'll hear in the podcast, it's just a little bit different when I'm talking to somebody that I know and have that uh, a different type of relationship with. So I'm excited for you guys to hear the podcast and Erica's story today. We talk a lot about different um, experiences that she's gone through, and I think that you'll find it really relevant and um, impactful for you. So let's just dive on in. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super pumped about you being on the podcast. Thanks for being here. And why don't we just start at the beginning? When did you first hear the word clubfoot? So for my son's diagnosis, um, we first heard the word clubfoot at our 20-week ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Um, We went in, didn't really have any, you know, any issues leading up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, we did have some blood work that was done, like the NIPS testing that kind of came back with low fetal DNA, but there was nothing, you know, we just kind of chalked up to early, um, our mishandling of blood work, but then we went to our 20 week scan, um, you know, they came back with the club, but Mm. so, so did they tell you during the scan or did they tell you like you go into a room afterwards and the doctor tells you or what? What was your experience? Right. So we, so the sonogram, they, the um, sonographer did not tell us um, Mm. anything about it. She just went along, said everything looks good. And then I went in um, and met with my midwife. So our, um, I always had my ultrasounds at the midwife's office. Okay. Um, so it was immediate that we got the, um, you know, his diagnosis with that. Mm. Um, but I do actually, I had known clubfoot prior to that um, mm. because I actually have a horse that has clubfoot. So oh. um, it wasn't an unfamiliar word to me, but um, yeah. I had never yeah. dealt with it with a person. <laughs> wow. I've heard of that. I've heard of other animals uh, having clubfoot. And yeah. that must have been a wild experience. So you had a horse who had clubfoot before you were even pregnant with your son. Yes. So yes. what was your horse's treatment? Did you do your horse's treatment? Um, so it, it's kind of different. They do like corrective shoeing. They, they can mm-hmm. need corrective shoeing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he, I actually still currently have him. He's in my back pasture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gets his feet trimmed every, you know, four to five weeks and we just keep him, um, you know, make sure that he stays trimmed so that way he can walk straight oh. on his feet. So wow. yeah, it is a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure there's cases that are worse than others. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. is very mild, but, um, wow. yeah, so it's kind of cool. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. So you hear, you go back to the appointment, you're with the midwife, midwife tells you, we see unilateral, bilateral club foot, and what happens? Yeah, so he was, um, she said it looked like it was bilateral, Okay. Um, and I just kind of kept a stone face. My husband was with me, um, you know, I was, I actually kept it together in the doctor's office, I'm not really sure how. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I left the office that it kind mm-hmm. of all came rushing out because now it was the whole worry of like, what if, like, what, what are we going to do? You know, what if there is something else and it's not just an isolated case, it's, you know, which his thankfully is, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it was just all that fear and you mm-hmm. know, what, what are we going to do now? So what kind of information did they tell you? Did they give you any idea of what the treatment was going to be like? Did they give you resources? What, what, what kind of info did you get before you left? So we were um, set up with a referral to maternal fetal management just to verify that that is actually what they were seeing there. Yeah. So they just wanted a higher level. She knew somebody who had um, club foot, but also also had the arthrogrosis. Is that how it's oh, said? Yeah, arthrogrosis. Um, where it's mm-hmm. affected of the legs. Yeah, so where it affects the legs and higher up. And she said, I don't, you know, we didn't necessarily see that, but just, you know, so she kind of explained um, the friend that she knew that had a child with it like Mm. their treatment, but didn't really go in depth. It was like, you know, the child walks, they're totally fine. Like just very positive and upbeat with it. Um, So I did end up just going home and looking up, Mm. you know, club foot treatment uh, Mm -hmm. on my own, you know? Um, So. And after you did your own research, what did you do then? Did you like make an appointment with a local doctor to like do a consultation or did you wait until your son was born? So I did, I waited until he was born, um, to make the, well, I made the appointment prior to him being born, but I made it far enough out. So that way, you know, we knew, um, Mm -hmm. that he would, uh, be there. So, Mm -hmm. because basically everything that I read, um, was that there really wasn't much that they could tell us Mm -hmm. without him being there. They weren't going to tell us any more than we already knew without him being there. And I was, once I got over the initial shock, like I was okay with the treatment plan. You know, I knew that we were going to go in with Ponsetti and that was, that was as much um, like research that I could handle prior to um, him being born. So I just wanted, I, I would prefer to have him in front of them and be able to tell me more about his case specifically mm-hmm. and not the 
what if, or if it's worse when he's born, then you know, we might have to do this or we might have to do that. Mm. I'd rather just know. Yeah. Yeah. His case. That's what we're yeah. going to do. And that's, you know. So. Yeah. That makes sense. I think it sounds like you had a healthy boundary set up for what you were able, the information and knowledge you were able to intake without providing the wheel of anxiety and feeding that. I think I hear. (laughs) So kudos to you on that and knowing that because I think a lot of moms that I talk to go down that hamster wheel because there's a lot of like what if and scary scenarios of like, Mm -hmm. but the reality is none of that is real until it's actually here. It's one of the things I talked to my oldest daughter about who is, um, she's got some anxiety stuff. And so I'm always like, but what's happening like right now? What's right now? Like, what can we do right now? What do you see? What do you touch? What can you smell? What can you, you know, it's like, because you get so far into like, but this could happen and that could happen. And I think that's great advice for other clubfoot moms who are with the diagnosis is like taking in enough to understand what the treatment's going to be, to understand, you know, that basic knowledge so that you're not like, you know, completely overwhelmed, but then at the same time, being very clear about how much of that information is really relevant to you. And it's really hard for moms to decipher that on their own. So did you? Yeah, I mean, and that's not to say that I didn't go down a hamster wheel. Okay, okay. So you were making us all feel normal then because you did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was absolutely the, you know, hamster wheel moment. You know, once I got off of that hamster wheel, Mm. it was, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do and this is what we have to do. Mm. Um, So... Yeah. yeah. So did you join any of the like social media Facebook groups before your son was born? Um, I don't remember when I actually joined them. I was definitely not active in them beforehand if I did. Um, okay. you know, and I hid them from my news feed and just kind of went when okay. I wanted to look, when I wanted to see stuff. Um, mm. you know, and I, I always do kind of take social media with a grain of salt if I can yeah. I try <laughs> yeah so yeah. Right. Um, right. you know I just knew that until I know I didn't become active I think really until after he was done with his casting so mm-hmm. you know it probably I may not have even joined until after his casting because that's when I really felt like I could breathe through mm-hmm. you know well and I think that, that's so. the time where it transitions to where you need like a supportive community in the bracing Mm -hmm. aspect of it, right? You're like, okay, now I'm like really in it and I need to talk to other parents because my Mm -hmm. medical care team only has uh, limited knowledge of what's happening at Mm -hmm. home. And I think that's a role that those groups can play. Um, I think that I try to, uh, you know, kind of, caution moms on joining the groups without having those boundaries or that um, knowledge of what it looks like because I can it can really feed into the hamster wheel effect of like we're trying to get all the knowledge but on that end I don't blame moms who do it because the reality is Mm -hmm. there isn't there's a limited amount of resources and information and a lot of us are sent home with like 
don't look on the internet, but uh, we're not going to give you any info. And you're like, well, <laughs> okay. So how am I supposed to figure this out? You know, so it's, it has, there has to be something on top of that or other than an alternative to get information for parents. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting road to walk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about your experience after your son was born and what your interaction was like with the hospital staff? Um, so he was born at the end of 2020. So mm -hmm. um, I was pregnant the entire pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, I was only allowed to have just my husband with me. Um, thank God they allowed that. But yeah. um, I mean, really, overall, the staff was great. I actually worked for the hospital system that I delivered at. So um, not that I knew anyone, but you know, it just, yeah, they kind of make it known that you're an employee kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the, so the nurses were great. You know, we had great experiences with that, but um, you know, we did my husband, my, not my husband, my son, um, his pediatrician, um, does not come to the hospital. So mm -hmm. we, um, had just the hospital pediatrician that came yeah. to see him. So, you know, that was kind of an experience that I don't have a fond memory of just because I really feel like he just kind of very quickly looked him over and was like, this baby has club foot and rattled it off. And, you know, do you know that? And, and of course, you know, I said, yeah, we, we've known since he was 20 weeks and, um, yeah. you know, we have an appointment with ortho in a few weeks and mm -hmm. it just kind of like threw me for a loop that like, mm -hmm. he's more than just his club mm -hmm. foot. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I just really, and of course it could have just been the, the newly postpartum sting of, of everything, um, emotions yeah. rushing in, but <laughs> we're all so normal then we're just so, right. <laughs> are so just level and we're just all right. Exactly. Yes. I don't even know if I was 24 hours postpartum at that point, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, that was kind of hard for me mm. to, to feel like, you know, he was just another number on the checklist to, to look over yeah. and yeah, it's kind of this, um, it's interesting because I think if I were in that situation, I'd feel like you'd be the first time that your child would be labeled as something other than just your child, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this baby has club foot. This is a club foot baby. And like, that was the one thing that was really standing out about your baby. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it was like, okay, so that's how is this how the rest of the world is going to see my child? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. That, you know, he was just the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have the same sort of experience. Our pediatrician who I love does not come. He's, he moved practices further away. And so he doesn't come to our hospital. So we had a, just the rounding pediatrician come. Uh, when my daughter was born, but he was very like almost an opposite situation where he was like, this is like her feet look like it's going to be a super mild case. Like they seem really flexible, really like good. And I was like, oh, okay, 
Like, cool. Mm-hmm. And then reality was like, no, she just had like a very regular case of club foot. And so, right. um, <laughs> but I don't remember it feeling that way. You know what I'm saying? Where mm-hmm. that wasn't the only, that wasn't the crux of our whole conversation about this little mm-hmm. human that was in front of me. It was, you know, it was just a part of what the exam was, where it sounds like for you, it became the the focal point, which, you know, and then the fact that he's like, do you know? And you're like, uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, at some what point, you have seen your child, right? Like mm-hmm. you have held your baby, you've seen it. And so I don't, you know, sometimes the way people ask things or aren't always the most sensitive. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what was the first appointment with your son's clubfoot doctor like? So you hadn't met the doctor yet. You'd made the appointments. And so what was that first casting appointment? Was it a casting or did you just go in for a consult? So we, I went in knowing that there was a possibility that we could cast, but also knowing that if at any point I wasn't comfortable, that it was my decision what mm. we were doing, you know, that okay. I didn't have to. Um, okay. We had actually made an appointment with, another doctor um in within the the healthcare system that does our pediatrics here in Atlanta um and but it was for further out so he actually went and saw our actual pediatrician and she said why are you waiting so long Mm. um because it was about a month after he was born that I originally had it so when I called to reschedule um they had a new doctor to the area um And so I said, that's fine. You know, we'll meet with him. And, and if, if we click and, you know, we like what he has to say and, you know, his bedside manner and all that, then we'll just continue on with Mm -hmm. um, care with him. So we went in and, you know, we did, we really liked him. Um, He told us that if we wanted to cast that day, we could, um, but that, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't have to. We could wait a little bit longer if we wanted to, mm-hmm. um, which with my husband being off of work, it just kind of um, worked out that we were able to get all of the casting done before he had to go back to work mm-hmm. um, from his paternity leave. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we just chose to to start casting that day. Mm-hmm. And how was the first cast? Easy. So. Easier or harder than you expected? So it was easier than I expected. He actually fell asleep through the the casting, you know, so Mm -hmm. we were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he slept through the whole thing, slept all the way home. We really had an easy transition into the casts. Um, You know, he really... He's, he's a chill, he was a chill baby. Um, I'm not going to say he's a chill toddler because he's a toddler, but, um, right. you know. I feel like that's kind <laughs> of an oxymoron. Be... I don't know any chill <laughs> right. toddlers, so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, but the castings after that, mm-hmm. um, he loved the saw. He absolutely loved the saw, which was kind of funny. Um, and I'm sure that that office still, we go to a different office, still the same doctor, but different, but I'm sure that office still talks about the baby that loved the saw. 
So he would go in there crying when we would have to like take his clothes off and stuff. And then um, the saw would start and he would quiet right down Um, and then (laughs) would cry through the next cast. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, he still loves chainsaws and, you know, the sound of machinery to this day. So, um, well, you you do live on a farm, right? So, you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it kind of <laughs> kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. He might have been exposed to it when he was yeah. in utero, yeah. right? And he was like, "Okay, right, cool. Right. Yeah, I can, I can get down with this. Like, I I know this loud noise." <laughs> Because I think a lot of parents do. And I think that's just such a great testament and great story because so many babies, we get kind of lumped into like all the babies are going to hate the cast or all the babies are going to have a hard time. And all the, and the reality is, is like, you don't really know what struggles you're going to face until you face them. And you don't know what is going to be easier than you ever expected. Like, I don't, I think mm-hmm. you're the only one I've ever heard who said their baby loved the castle, but I'm sure <laughs> not the only baby. He's not the only right. baby he has, right? Like no right. one talks about the positive things. There are posts on social mm-hmm. media about everybody loving the castle because mm-hmm. that's not something you're going to post about if it's something that went right. well, Right. That's one of the things is we always hear about the things that aren't going well. And we never hear about the Mm -hmm. things that do go better than we anticipated, right? Those are the few and far between information that we get. So everybody (laughs) listening, there's a chance your baby could be like Erica's and love the cast saw. So don't count them out yet, okay? (laughs) How many casts did your son have? Um, so I always lose count, which I know sounds crazy because you think like it wasn't that long ago, but it was so long ago. It was a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want to say he had forecast before we went into a long extended cast um, because he did not have a tenotomy. Okay. So, um, our last cast was, um, like two or three weeks long we left that one on for um three weeks I believe so between four to six casts let's say (laughs) and what do you think is like what what's your overall experience of clubfoot treatment been um so I mean it's been I hate to say easy but you know, we have, um, it, it'll help. Yeah. It's, it's been smooth. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has been really smooth up until, you know, I will say now with, um, with the casting or not the casting, his, um, roots and bar as a toddler is mm. not, you know, it's not fun. And it's, you know, I always thought of the, okay, it's going to be easy. He's going to be used to this because he's been doing it since he was three months old and we're going to put the boots and bar on every night. Well, I never thought about that there was going to be an opinion on the other end of of the boots and bar. So <laughs> I will say, you know, that has been a struggle of him wanting to do it himself, Yeah. Um, you know, put them on himself. And so, um, but, yeah. you know, we, we went in, did the cast, and um 
our, you know, our doctor's great. He made sure that, you know, our first appointment, we had his cell phone number. So if we had any questions, Mm -hmm. we could get directly in contact with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes. And I know that that's not, you know, it's not common. And, and I made sure that, you know, we weren't texting him at all hours you know, I mean, I, I kept business hours, you know, unless it was a true emergency, but you know, we really didn't, um, come over that. We were lucky that he did not end up needing a tenotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, he still may have surgery down the line. Um, but if we can avoid it, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That toddler, uh, it gets tricky. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I have tried to tell um, people when I'm doing my education in the medical field. It's just like, a three-month-old clubfoot baby is much different than a two-and-a-half yeah. or two-year-old toddler who mm-hmm. is desperate to exert their independence. And mm-hmm. this isn't something that they can be independent on. And so it's not like putting on your clothes or putting on your socks or mm-hmm. learning to put on your shoes. <laughs> this is something that mom and dad have to do. And if you have a... um strong-willed child that can it can get tricky and those are the parts where yeah you know it's it's hard to persevere through it all the time you know mm-hmm. it's a nightly thing and if it becomes hard then what you know you can understand my parents are like okay I'm done with this I don't want to do this anymore right <laughs> right my yeah. parents want to stop at three and not push right. through to five because, right. you know, this right. is, there's only so much Coco Melon that they can watch. I know. I know. Them. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's only so much that you can do. And I think that's one of the things that I look forward to and that I'm hopeful for with club foot treatment is that there starts to become some differentiation in how long bracing needs to happen for individual kids. Because I do think pushing for two extra years when you could technically be okay at three um, makes a big difference for families. It's a huge burden for two extra years that you don't necessarily quote unquote need. And whether or not you need that or not, like the the five is the gold standard, but why and how and how do we start to look at each case case by case? It's for those exact examples of like the families that are really struggling and they're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, but I how am I going to make it through two more years of this? Right? Right. Right. And I mean, I'm pushing for five because he didn't have a tenotomy and whatever I can do to, you know, Mm -hmm. prevent him from having to have any kind of surgery, which I know there's, you know, I can do everything right and do it for the five years and he still could relapse or, you know, have that residual deformity and and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, But at least I know I did everything I could do on, on my end. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that's a big that was a moment for me when someone said that to me, it's like, you just need to look back and be comfortable with what you've done, you know? And if that's four, then that's four. Like if your doctor's giving you the go ahead and you really are okay Mm -hmm. with that, then that's like more power to you. Like everybody. So that's why it's hard when you, you know, post things on social media and everyone jumps in with their own experience or these are the studies. And it's like, but the reality is everybody's different and we have to start to, you know, 
individuate that. And I remember somebody saying like, I can, it terrifies me to think like, okay, I did all of this and Mm -hmm. it can still not go well. Right. Um, Or there could still be more things that need to be done. Um, But I will look back and know that I did everything I could and I will hopefully take solace in that in the moments of craziness if they (laughs) fingers crossed they don't but you know right right (laughs) so what do you think's been the most difficult part of the treatment has it been is it now with the boots and bar is it your constant questioning just because I know you about whether or not the (laughs) aspect of it like what what do you think has been the Um, hardest part so, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think right now is the getting the boots and bar on, you know, it's, he gets them on every night. We rarely ever miss. And I'm not just saying that um, yeah. it may take us longer to get them on. You know, I mean, bedtime might take us an hour, hour and a half just because we have to put a sock on and then wait a minute and, um, you know, go through that. But I do make sure that he at least gets them on every night. Um that's not to say that if he's sick, you know, if he's not feeling good and I just know that like, we're not getting anywhere, you you know, he, he gets to have them off for that night. Um, but really, I mean, it's only been when he's been really sick and not feeling Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Um, the self doubt though, too, is a huge, you know, I mean, that's kind of been hard because you do, you question everything. Am I, did I, you know, if you hear different people's um, experiences and you hear that like they interviewed six doctors before they um, you know found the right fit but you found the right fit on the first one it's like well did I do enough research even though we we're having a you know great outcome did I do enough research did I look at enough doctors um, you know am I putting his boots and bar on long enough am I you know just all the the questioning that I think comes with being a mom yeah. In general, you know, I mean, I don't think it's clubfoot specific, but um, yeah, but it's an added bonus. The clubfoot's an added <laughs> bonus to the self doubt for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's such a good point, and I think it's the comparison piece too. It's really easy to compare your experience. Like, I love sharing experiences, obviously, um, but it's easy to listen to other people's stuff and be like, oh, and then question your own. Um, and I honestly don't even know, like, I wish I had words of wisdom. I don't, I don't know how to combat that. You know, I don't know how you're supposed to share experiences, in, get information from them, find validation and camaraderie, mm-hmm. but also then not compare. So if there's like some yeah. magic wand to make that happen, that would be nice. <laughs> right. And I mean, social media doesn't help that because, you know, you get the mm-hmm. the terrified new moms that come in and then you get the warrior moms that have been in it for years and years. And, you know, some of the, the responses that I read sometimes, it's like the wording is not the greatest in these poor yeah. moms. Like I can remember being that, mm-hmm. which is why I chose to stay yeah. off of the groups until I knew that you know, I was through the part that, you know, I could handle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that's a good point about it being triggering and knowing your own triggers and being able to go like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is going to be more triggering than it is helpful. So, um, 
but that's such a journey in itself to try to figure out like what, what that is, that isn't, you know, and I think my biggest thing right. with the social media was I just, I can't control people's responses, right? Like, so if I post something mm-hmm. and then like a firestorm happens, like I can't control what people comment and, and I don't know these people, right? So for me, it was like so much more right. influential to have people that I knew and that I had relationships mm-hmm. with give me opinions and advice and suggestions than going on a social media platform. But that's for me. Mm-hmm. That's my personal need. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people really benefit from it. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, you just got to find where it fits for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think? And I mean, not a lot of people have. Yeah. But, the, um, you know, like I don't have anybody around me that I know yeah, that um, that's right. has currently been dealing, you know, is in the thick of it. So, you know, and sometimes you have to go in those social media groups to find those people if your doctor doesn't have, you know, support groups, which most of them don't. So true. Um, yep. Yeah. That's a really valid point. Like you don't, how are you supposed to find connection with people mm-hmm. if you don't have access to anybody? Um, right. Yeah. So then it becomes that. So what do you think, speaking of that, what do you think have been the best resources? What have you found the most helpful on your journey? Um, so your book was a really good one. I mean, and I'm not, you know, this isn't like a, you know, <laughs> this is just my for plug. I'm trying <laughs> to get Eric to talk about how great yeah. I am. If you haven't noticed, <laughs> that was the point of this whole question. <laughs> Um, but I mean, really, the, you can't see it. I'm cringing, but I'm very also working on being accepting. So thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I really just wish that I had found it sooner. It was, you know, not we were already in Boots and Bar by the time I found it. So the stuff, while it was still very helpful in yeah. reading back through it, it was like, yeah, yeah, I went through that. And yeah, I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listening to the podcast, going through, you know, the early days that you guys went through. And it's like, it finally was somebody who like got it mm-hmm. and understood that like when I was scared that this cast was going to slip off or what, you know, whatever fear was that day, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that somebody had been through it, mm-hmm. um, recently. And I mean, the the support group that you do is, is helpful, you know, Mm -hmm. because you get, it's a way to connect with, with other moms where you're face to face, you know, I mean, especially being, having him born in a pandemic, you know, I didn't have a lot of face to face contact with people because, you know, he wasn't, we weren't taking him anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was really isolated and you were, you had an extra isolation on top of how you can already feel really isolated when you have, when you're going through something very different than what other newborn parents are going through. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and our doctor was a great resource as well, even just him giving his cell phone number to us. And, you know, even if we didn't necessarily use it as often as some people would just knowing that that line of, of, connection was there and communication yeah. was there yeah that you know it was just the 
if you need anything, I am here. Um, so important. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those, like, that's what, that was the driving factor behind everything that I do, was just trying to help people, clubfoot parents, be seen in their experience, right? Like, you read about it, you listen, and you're like, oh, man, like, you maybe feel little less alone, little less like, oh, like somebody really does get it. I'm not just going through this by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you are, it's such an interesting thing. Yeah. You really <laughs> are doing it by yourself, yeah. but it's so common that there are this huge, vast community of people going through it. So it's an interesting, it's not like a rare disorder, right. Um, where your kid is like one in a hundred thousand or something. It's mm-hmm. One in a thousand kids, which seems like, you know, a sm- it's like, why? Sometimes I would look around and be like, why couldn't it be all these other thousand kids? Why does that <laughs> right. have to be what I want? Like, why am I the one? Right. right. And if you think about it like that, it seems like a thousand kids is a lot. But in reality, in comparison, there is this big community out there. But it's an interesting dynamic because I feel a lot like parents don't feel like they're being seen, that they, their experience at home is not, um, you know, is being missed in some point. There's a gap that's happening. And so I'm glad to hear that it helped just fill that a little bit. Even just smidge is good with me. (laughs) Well, and I remember too, you know, like when we first started chatting back and forth and I was like, oh my gosh, like, it's so nice to finally have somebody that gets it, that just gets it and leaves the line of communication open. Cause you can chat with somebody on social media and, you know, one conversation and Mm -hmm. okay, I'm, you know, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Um, But just having that. And I just remember thinking like, this is the kind of stuff I would love to be involved in. But again, I don't know where to start. Don't know where, yeah. to, you know. That's right. And so it's like just to be able to, you know, mm-hmm. be there. And I always say, like, when new moms are posting, I, you know, mm-hmm. if I post on it, I'm like, if you ever have any questions, yeah, you know, feel free to send me a message. Like, I'm always happy to. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of parents feel that way. It's like they want to do more. They want to be involved more, but they just don't know what to do. Right. It's um, and they don't have the same capacity. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be straight. Like a lot of us are working full-time jobs, taking care of toddlers, doing running a farm, you know, like we're all doing a lot of things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, so it's hard and it's not exactly easy and you don't have so much capacity for it. Um, and so I think just those small lines of like communication of just putting it out there, like, you know, if you need to talk to me, you can. And then if Mm -hmm. they, if they take advantage of it, great. If they don't, then at least you put it out there. Like, you know, um, right. Right. And it's just been just as illuminating and eye-opening for me and as helpful for me when I communicate with people like you and that I build these relationships with because, like, otherwise I wouldn't have this relationship. And so I'm always really grateful for that, too, Yeah, on on that same end. And I do get a lot of one-off messages of, like, individual things. And that's okay, too. You know, it's like whatever people are needing in that moment, Mm -hmm. you know. 
And then I'll have people come back and yeah. be like, but their toenails look weird. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're, they look weird. They're just yeah. like, it takes a hot minute for them. I remember being so stressed about toenails because yeah. people saw this yeah. clubfoot kid. Um, this mom was so great. A local mom who had a bunch of like stuff for clubfoot. And mm-hmm. I saw, and her daughter must have been, I don't know, three or something. And I remember looking at her toenails and being like, oh my God, they look so weird. And I remember leaving that and my hu- telling my husband, like, if our daughter's toenails ever look like that, like we're going to ask <laughs> right? And so I'm like pregnant and worried. And now I honestly, like, that's just what her toenails look like. Like, as long as they are not ingrown, that there are not right. issues with them, I don't care. Like, it literally, what most of them look like triangles. It's fine. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't. It's just so low on the totem pole. And so I think back to that mom sometimes and I think about like, oh God, I was like so judgmental of that. But the reality is like she's in it doing it. And she's like, yeah, it's just everything evens out after a while. And it's very low on my totem pole of things to be concerned (laughs) about, right? Yeah. 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 So what advice would you give to other parents who have just begun their treatment journey? Um, so one of the best pieces of advice that I got was take pictures. Like mm-hmm. it seems so, so simple and you would think, well, I'm already taking so many pictures. Not enough. I thought I took a lot. Yeah. Yep. I thought I took a lot and I didn't like even his casting journey. Like I always did before and afters, but to go back and look at them, I couldn't tell you what cast it was from. I, I mean, know. other than like, I literally would have to go back and look at his appointment dates to see, yeah. you know, what it was from. Um, just to take like actual and Mm -hmm. I mean, label them if you have to, because Mm -hmm. I just wish I had that for his, you know, future Mm -hmm. book. If he, you know, if he wants to look back at his, at his journey, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and don't be afraid to like, if you want to keep the casts, keep them. Like we, I kept his first cast. Um, the ones after that, I kind of got to the point where I was kind of like, for us, I'm good. Like I'll keep his first cast and we'll keep all of his boots um, in his bar until, you know, we know we're done having kids and done having club foot kids. And yeah. Um, right. You know, Cause we don't know, we may have another one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there mm-hmm. may be another club foot. Um, mm-hmm. But, and, you know, just going back to the social media of, you know, try not to take, all of it to heart that you know you Mm -hmm. never when when parents are responding to stuff and you know I know that this is easier said than done because I'm guilty of it myself Mm -hmm. um you know you don't know what when somebody's responding you don't know what your post may have triggered in them Mm -hmm. um that if they're responding with a knee-jerk reaction or if their response is a one word that just may be all they can give you know Mm -hmm. so it's like don't read too much into these people who don't know you don't know your child Mm -hmm. um you know because like we talked about earlier it's every child is different every journey is different you know I mean my son has bilateral club but his journey is totally different than your daughter's Mm -hmm. you know so it's they have the same the same um, thing right but their journey was totally different yeah Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's just everybody's lifestyle is different. And yeah, um, yeah, I like that. Sage advice for all the parents listening. (laughs) I always wrap it up. You know, you're a podcast listener. I wrap it up with asking about like a special (laughs) memory. Right. So like something and it doesn't have to be like fluffy. It should be whatever you want it to be that just really stands out for you. Like that was like a seminal moment. What do you think? So, you know, other than obviously the deep breath that I took when he finally walked and ran and did all that, um, actually a couple weeks ago, you know, we're in the thick of this toddler um, opinion and boots and bar and I always tell him, you know, good job, buddy. I'm proud of you. Mm. Um, when we're done getting everything on, you know, and, and everything he does, you know, and he looked at me and said, good job, mommy. Mm. Um, you know, after getting his boots and bar on and it was like, oh my God, you know, like I never realized yeah. that I, I needed to hear that from him. Mm. Um, you know, there's everybody else is telling me you're doing a great job. You're, you know, you're doing so great with him, but for him to actually acknowledge it, like that was so huge. Um, and again, I know it's just him uh-huh. repeating back what I said, mm-hmm. um, what I say to him all the time, but you know, for him to actually repeat it back to me out of, you know, really out of nowhere, um, was, was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that one's top of the list for now. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's incredible. I love that. I think it's it's such a testament to the way that you're talking to him that he's repeating it back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that parents really need to hear it. You know, Mm -hmm. and you're right. It only goes so far. Everyone in your life is telling you what a great job you're doing. You know, um, but it just hits different when it's coming Mm -hmm. from the person that you're doing it all for, right? Like, right. Right. It's all for them. So. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it didn't start with the tantrum. The tantrum yeah. came first and then the good job, mommy. <laughs> was that like a sour patch kid thing, you know, like right. exactly. sour and then you get real sweet. Like that's right. just exactly. sounds about <laughs> on the nose for how toddler yeah. bedtime routines go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, Erica. I loved our conversation. Yeah. I feel like me too. people um, got to know me a little bit better because yeah. I am comfortable <laughs> with you. We have a relationship and these podcasts yep. are fun for me because um, not all of them are fun, but these ones have a little are a little extra special because um there's just a different level of comfortability. So thanks for being able to do it and um, staying up way late, way past your, well, (laughs) it doesn't seem like your bedtime, but my bedtime. So thanks for staying up late to record this. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. I want to give a huge thank you to Erica for taking the time. And finally, we were able to make it happen to record this episode. I, so enjoyed hearing her story. And I think that it's relatable in a lot of ways about um, just her entire experience with social media, with trying to find support, with the questions about um, her son's feet and her struggles as he enters into 
toddler phase. And um, I'm just so grateful that she took the time to be a guest on the podcast today. And if you found this episode helpful, please share with someone you think uh, could really benefit from it. And if you ever need to get in contact with me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or through my Instagram account at Club Foot Chronicles Mom. Until next time.